Welcome to the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. Today, our guest is Nadej Florimon, entrepreneur, author, speaker, business strategist, branding guru, culinary maven. She skillfully draws from her Haitian heritage to effortlessly fuse the traditional and the modern. Her expertise runs the gamut from brand development to event planning, fundraising, business coaching, and more. This self-proclaimed professional EPAV, which is a free thinker, successfully juggles a thriving catering company, a growing real estate venture, and a flourishing consulting business. She's also a published author of Haiti Uncovered, a regional adventure into the art of Haitian cuisine, a beautifully illustrated coffee table cookbook published in 2014. It chronicles her culinary adventures throughout Haiti's 10 departments. Her new book, A Taste of Solidarity, a culinary journal, documents her self-discovery journey as she cooked her way through the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. All right. So welcome, Nadege. Thank you for having me, Dr. Keisha. (laughs) Okay. So I met you a little over a year ago um, in 2019. Yes, at the Flatbush Caton Market. At the Flatbush Caton Market. You had curated this amazing experience. Yes, yes, yes. It was to highlight Haitian cuisine by utilizing some of the products and ingredients that the merchants at the Flatbush Caton Market sells. So it was a great opportunity to also invite some of like the people I work with. I invited Winnie Lamore from the Creole Language Institute to do like her tea party. Invited like uh, Baina Bello, who's an author of an amazing book, which highlights... um, uh, Haitian, the, her- Haitian, Haitian heroines, yeah. Yeah, the Haitian heroines, the 10 women of the Haitian revolution. So that was amazing. It was really just a great opportunity to showcase some of the richness of Haiti and inviting the community to partake in all of it. Yeah, so I attended with one of my really good friends and she's Haitian. And so it was really great, I think, just to be there. I enjoyed your cooking demonstration so much. Um, I enjoyed even listening to the author of the um, the book that you were talking about with the 10 Haitian heroines. Um, and I'm from Trinidad. And so um, she she shared a little bit of history in terms of um, I think she said they were like years ago, they had gotten rid of all the slaves in Trinidad and they brought slaves from Haiti to Trinidad to repopulate. Uh, so it was just like fascinating. It was good vibes. And I loved what you did because I feel like. If anybody's from Flatbush or grew up around Flatbush, shout out to Flatbush. The Flatbush Cape Market has been a mainstay, even though it, it shifted geography, you know, sort of like down a couple of blocks. But I think to see something like that, that was that was new and different and exciting. And I, I, I just I really, really admired what you did. Thank you. And, and I think what's great about, like I, you said, the Flatbush Cape Market, too, it's really where. If you're in the Flatbush region, you know it's Caribbean community, right? It's Caribbean city, and it it boasts people from Guyana, Trinidad, Jamaica, Haiti, and then going back to this um, to Baina Bello, who's he's a historian, and she's very well knowledgeable in terms of uh, Black history, slave history, and Caribbean history in general, and Haitian history. It's amazing when I go back into Haitian history just to see how connected we all are, right? Because Bukman, who studied the Haitian Revolution, was from uh, Jamaica. Um, the first king of Haiti, 
a slave that was in Haiti originally came from Grenada. So we're all more connected. Like we're all connected because when you think about it, it was just different drop-offs locations for Basically. the slaves. Mm-hmm. Especially during slaves' time, like there was no sense of like nations. It was more like it's a black collective, and we're slaves in these in this new territory. So I think Flatbush feels like that in a sense, like where Caribbean people is just like we're Caribbean. Like you know, everybody still has you know nation pride and national pride, but I think there is a common bond that exists mm-hmm. among Caribbeans. And the Flatbush K market like is that communal place that everybody kind of like knows about. Yeah. And I, I love, I love, I love what you did. Like you took some of the ingredients from the vendors that were there and you made your black rice and and just everything, everything. I just it really enjoyed it and it was great. Um, and then in talking to you, you were just um, t- talking about all these different things that you were doing. And I followed you on social media and I see all the different things that you were doing. And this season, we're focusing on dope Black women doing dope Black women things. And when I say dope Black women things, it's only the things that Black women could do. And they do it. <laughs> like, look at you. Like, I love your sense of fashion. You always have these really cool glasses. <laughs> Yours are cool, too. <laughs> Just everything, everything about you is just dope. And so I just want to highlight that and some of the things that you've been doing. Um, But first, I want you to sort of tell us a little bit of how you, because I know you didn't start out being a chef. Like I said, I'm Caribbean. So I think very few, and I grew up with a single dad. I always tell people. So I was supposed to be a doctor, a lawyer, maybe an engineer. So my junior year, I was studying political science with the thought of I would eventually go to law school because I love I'm very analytical in thinking. So I always fancy myself in lawyer, a lawyer. I love law and order. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, I was a lawyer in my head. I love Matlock, all of those things. So but I love cooking. Cooking was how I connected with my dad. My dad is a phenomenal cook. So. I just did it in school. But what ended up happening is I started using food as a way of building community among my in camp on campus. Like doing uh, finals week, I was like, oh, let me cook and deliver food because the kids don't want to leave the library. They don't want to go out to eat. And we used it as a fundraiser for our student groups and stuff in our student government groups. So then people was like, well, what is this you made? And people, and I saw that food allowed for conversation. It allowed for people to want to learn more about like a particular place. So when I would cook the Haitian food, people would be like, oh, tell us a little bit more. And I realized a lot of people didn't know about Haiti in the way that I knew about it. So I was like, oh, not only is our food amazing, this is a great opportunity to teach around the food and get people to explore a little bit more deeply. So after graduating, since I was poli sci, I worked for Congresswoman Yvette Clark at the time, who was in the city council. But then I realized, you know what? I I need to try this food thing because I'm good at it. People like it. So I had started my catering company as like a side hustle in college. But then I was like, you know what? In 2004, I was like, you know what? It's now or never. Let's give this a, a try. And then we're still trying 16 years later. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I love it. And then your cookbook. Tell us about sort of like how you came up with the concept of it and how you actually went about gathering everything from it. And I know the foreword in your cookbook is written by 
Edwidge, Edwidge Dancy Cat. They say Dancy Cat, but it's Dancy Cat. So uh-huh. Edwidge is a phenomenal New York Times bestselling author. She's just one of the sweetest human beings. I was just talking to her this past weekend. She was like, you have a vegan subjumu recipe? <laughs> so um, she's phenomenal. But for me, I always tell people everything in my life, I'm very intentional, but at the same time, I'm also guided by what is put in my path, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm intentional in the sense that when I see an opportunity, I'm intentional about taking it, but I don't necessarily set up those opportunities. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. <laughs> so I think the same thing I fell into catering. It was just like, oh, it was an opening. I saw a need and I did it. But once people liked it, I was like, oh, this is what I can do around it. So the same thing with the book, I had been doing corporate catering for a long time because due to my school network, even though I was always cooking Caribbean, Haitian and fire inspired food, my clientele was not. It, it was the people I went to school with when they went to their law firms, their various big companies that became the clientele I got, which was phenomenal. And then in 2008, 2009, with the recession, corporate catering really took a dive. So then I ended up like, oh, let me explore. How do I develop around this? So I started doing like cooking classes. I started doing more social catering and entered into the space of realizing that, oh, Caribbean people were very tired of going to these catering halls and getting this very blah food. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So that's when the shift started happening, like that 2008, 2009, because people was like, well, I don't have to go to these places and Leonard's and this and that and not getting the food that I love because food and music is very important to us Mm -hmm. at celebration events. So I was like, oh, there's a need for that. So, but I was like, oh, I got to make sure the presentation is top notch. It's different. So I really was creative around high, high catered. But even then I was like, well, when I was catering Haitian events, my little brother asked me once, he was like, we always have the same food at parties. It's always black rice, rice and beans, grillo, this, do we have anything else? I was like, you're right. Do we have anything else? I mean, cause I left Haiti when I was seven. Mm-hmm. So his question made me really think about like, wow, I wonder what else is there to the food. So that was one. Then another incident happened when I was catering a communion. I don't know if you've ever been to a Haitian communion. If I you have, have Haitian, not. Oh my God, they've <laughs> deprived you. But that's like the Catholic religion, you know, when the kid is like eight, it's like their, their rites of passage type of thing. It's like a little mini wedding for the kid. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. It's, it's, it's them accepting God the first time they accept God in their lives and stuff. So these communions are usually very nice, very lavish. And then I remember seeing these very traditional Haitian cake. And then I was like, what happens when these little old ladies are no longer here? Who's make, who's going to make these cakes? So I really started thinking about like our cuisine in terms of longevity. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to maintain like the, the essence of how it was done or the history behind it? And then I was like, you know what? I should write a cookbook because I was already thinking about writing a cookbook just in terms of food in general. Cause you know, if you're in the space, you know, the way to establish yourself as an expert in anything is write a book. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've always wanted to do things that are meaningful that will impact in some way. So I'm going to pause you for a minute because you're just like, as they say on clubhouse dropping all these gems. (laughs) (laughs) I did share that in my bio, gem dropper. (laughs) Listen, First of all, I want to just sort of highlight how you follow your intuition in terms of doing the thing that you're here to do, doing the thing that really speaks to you. And not just, you don't do anything by half. Like, 
you figure out a way to be creative, you figure out a way to be true to your heritage. And then the next thing that really strikes me about you as you're telling me this story is that even though you've had setbacks and have had to adjust, you've figured out creative ways to adjust. And I feel like in your adjusting, it's taken you to like a whole other level. No, that's a great way of putting it because I have to say, and speaking about it in retrospects, it's lighter because in 2008, 2009, I was like, oh my God, I want to cut my wrist. Like all my events were like not happening, right? Because mm-hmm. corporate catering, these are like fifteen, $20,000 events that were no longer taking place. So at the time I was like, am I going to have to have a, get a job? You know, it was a really tumultuous time financially for me as a business owner, because that was like 80% of my business. But for me, it was kind of like, well, you've done this. I built this. Cause when I quit my job the first time, it was like, I had $980 in my bank account. So yes, I had the, I always tell people I could do it cause I'm single and I don't have kids, but I still have all my bills and I mm-hmm. still have obligations to family. My mom is still in Haiti, all of these things. Right. So it was still a hard decision, but I was like, well, I did it before. So why would you get a job? To me, that would be the setback. It wasn't a hard time. It was the fact like if I were to set back in terms of doing something just because it got hard, but it still wasn't taking me toward the direction of where I was happy, right? Or where I wanted to go. So I was like, you know what? Just innovate. And I always say that's the word to me whenever I get asked questions about entrepreneurship, I think the number one trait is innovation. Like you have to constantly innovate and create and develop new ways around things. And I think that that's my personal definition, but I do think that's what separates not just a small business owner. Cause I think we all can own a laundromat or we all can own any kind of business or a bakery, right? But it's the way you do it, right? Mm -hmm. What are you doing and what is the mission and goal beyond just making money? So for me, that's what those projects were always about. Like even my catering company, yeah, it's feeding people, but I never just wanted to be like, oh, here's food. I wanted to be like, how can I create an experience around it? How can I create a story around it? And how can it, it help somebody even in that small, those small things that I was doing. So that's how the book came about. It was just like these little pieces. And I was like, well, all of it merged. I should write a book, but I don't want to write a boring book. Cause I'm like, we get books and we just put them on the shelf, especially cookbooks. Right. 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 I don't, I didn't want to write a boring book. I wanted to see how deep the cuisine went beyond just like the recipes we migrate with, right? Because we tend to migrate like immigrant communities. We bring a set of recipes with us because we can't find all the ingredients. Sometimes we can't, you know, locate them or things take too long and the hustle and bustle of our new lives don't allow us to cook things the way we used to. Mm -hmm. So that's how we end up limiting the cuisine. But so I was like, well, what are all the things they our parents didn't tell us or didn't bring with them. So I wanted to do that and really wanted to leave like a canon for future generations to be able to be like, oh, that's Haitian food. (laughs) So it was those three things that brought the book to life. So how did you actually, because the book, the recipes are from all the different parts of Haiti. And so usually, like your brother was pointing out, you probably were making things that were to your particular region or your dad's particular region. So how did you go about collecting the recipes from all the different regions? 
So initially, everyone was like, well, you know, we, you're in New York. It's a melting pot. There's Haitians all from all over Haiti here. So let's kind of like find them, right? But I was like, that's whack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because for me, for whatever reason, the way I envisioned it in my head was, it's not just about the recipes. I wanted people, when you pick up this book, you felt Haiti, like you understood Haiti, you, at least through my eyes, right? At least through my perspective. I wanted you to humanize Haiti. And I felt in order to do that, I had to go. I had to go, one, to reintroduce myself to it mm-hmm. in my adult life, but also for people to see, to juxtapose those recipes, those culinary experiences within the context of the country mm-hmm. and how people live. So I was like, oh, I'll travel. And then my friends were like, you don't know Haiti. I was like, oh, I'll find different friends. And that's what I did. I found different friends. I did a, like six, seven trips throughout a year, took different friends with me, went to different regions because I wanted to explore Haiti. Like I said, that's why I tell people I'm just naturally curious. And I think sometimes the world benefits from it because this was for me too, right? It was selfish in the sense that I wanted to know more. So I would go to different things and I wanted to experience different levels of society. I wanted to experience the bougie hotel, touristy side. Mm -hmm. I wanted to explore a rich family that could, you know, do lavish parties. But I also went to homes where, oh, you're visiting. Okay, they open a cot for you on the floor. You know, I wanted that. And I wanted to see the different dynamics of homes and how food plays a role in all of it. Cause I want it. Cause I feel like that's what creates uh, um, understanding. That's what really allows us to really uh, empathize and, and sympathize. Right. And I remember, so one of the first things I did was I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a big project. Cause when I first did the financials, it was like a hundred thousand dollars to do the initial project, photography, travel, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I did an Indiegogo campaign a 30-day campaign raised about $20,000. And then this one other Caribbean brother, uh, I want to say he's from Guyana. He was like, he said to me, of all the problems your country has, you decide to write a cookbook. Like you could have fundraised to do, you know, to help an orphanage. Mm. And I was so offended by that because Mm. I was like, not to say orphanages are not important, but that's just saying like you are, you have too many issues to actually enjoy art, (laughs) to enjoy And I think your culture. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like what you do because you're pushing back against the narrative. Like, yes, Haiti does have a lot of issues and a lot of things that, but it seems like that's all people ever talk about. Like, they don't show the richness of culture. They don't show the very, you know, Haiti's not a monolith. And I think you're pushing back against that narrative. And I think sometimes when you push back against that narrative, it can make folks uncomfortable. No, I definitely agree. And I think we have to do it as Black people in this country, right? We have to do it as Caribbean people in this country. We have to do it on so many levels as Black women, right? So Girl, then, listen, I'm glad because you know, so, I don't want to offend nobody, but you know some white woman would have went to Haiti and been like, oh my God, Haiti's so beautiful. Here are all these recipes I found from all the local women. Like, I'm just glad that you, you know, one of the things that I say in my work is what drives my work is 
until this African proverb, until the story is told from the lion, it's always going to glorify the hunt and the hunter. And we have to tell our own stories. We have to take ownership of our culture and our narrative and stop allowing people to appropriate it. Exactly. And for me to even get there, it was the planning before that. Because I Mm -hmm. also tell people like when you're doing those things, which I learned early on is you have to (laughs) pre-plan. You have to plan for like 30 days prior to that to make sure you align even the right people that's going to help you move that thing along. Because at first, I think what I saw with other friends campaigns was because we all have great ideas and we think the idea itself is going to should be enough for people to support or just telling them, but we learn quickly. That doesn't happen. And I learned that early in my career because I used to, I loved events. I love doing food and events because that's why I went into catering and I didn't want to work in a hotel. I love bringing people together around food. So I would host these amazing events. I did a rooftop thing at the China club. I did a luau thing in Long Island. Girl, I mean, amazing stuff. And then I remember someone saying to me last year, and that does your events are always packed. Even if you charge people $300, because I had just done a gala for $250 per person, Midtown at uh, Studio 450, 300 people packed. And they're like, everything you do is always so packed. And I was like, you know why you say that? Because you've only been coming to the packed ones. You weren't right. at my empty luau. Right. When I did my empty luau, and it, I, I spent like, $7,000 and it was 30 people. Right. You the club. So people don't understand everything that you experience. It's a learning thing and you have to build. Yeah, I definitely. I feel you on that. I get the same, some, a similar thing like, oh, you'll sell your tickets. I'm like, no, I need y'all to go buy. Like you're waiting there for people. To, people love to buy tickets at the last minute. You got to pay your vendors you don't even sometimes you don't even know how to plan because sometimes you try to like specialize things have certain things for certain people have your place settings have all these things and people want to be buying tickets like five minutes before people don't understand like i tell people it doesn't matter if i'm doing an event today and if i was doing it five years ago I'm grinding today just like I was then because it's still a constant work because mm-hmm. people are busy. People get whatever. Yes, I am going to personally call you because at the end of the day, you can't assume because you post something because I see people get offended a lot, especially entrepreneurs. And I always give this advice because I've been there. Like you think like automatically certain people would support. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a thing. It doesn't happen. And it it, doesn't. you also have to step outside of your own ego and understand like people have lives, people have bills people have kids people have work whatever is the reasoning it's not so clear cut and dry because we're so quick to cut people like off because he's like you didn't support me you didn't come to my event you didn't buy my product so these are the things i've had to work through and now Mm -hmm. i understand them a little bit better because i also say to people like as a business and i've learned this is you can't create things with the expectation that your friends and family are the one to support you. Right. You want that. It's nice, but they don't owe you that. That's why even me, I, I'm like, whenever people like, oh, of course I'll support you. I was like, but do you really want it? I also want you to answer that question because I want yeah. to create things that people want. Yeah. And that answers to a need you want. So I don't, I 
it's always support because you could have been you could have bought something else. Yeah. But I don't want you to do it just to support, if that makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. I think a couple months ago I was doing something and someone said, oh, I'm going to buy a ticket, but I can't make it. And I'm like, I don't really want you to buy a ticket. I want you there. I want you yes. to experience what's taking place. Or sometimes people will say to me, oh, you know, I'm going to purchase a ticket for someone. Do you know? And I'm like, why don't you pick someone specifically that you know would enjoy this and give them the ticket? Because I would love to sell all these tickets. I would love to have all these people present, but ultimately I want you there experiencing this thing that I've created with you in mind. Exactly. So there has to be a thing like I I want it to be a give and a take because I'm taking your money, but I want to give you something in return that you enjoy, that you love, that is giving you some kind of, you know, happiness, some kind of lesson, something. So yes, I'm, that's really what it is about for me. So I think, like I said, I, I always, cause I do entrepreneurship coaching as well. So, and I see a lot of people get very discouraged early on because, you know, they did something and only like two people come. We've all been there, but I am a believer. You can't, don't, ex- don't think just because you build it, they will come. You build it, but you have to keep tweaking, <laughs> you know, because you're going to have to create that tribe and be like, okay, what is it? Why didn't I have people? Did I do my hardest promoting? Did I create the right event for the demographic that I have access to? You know, all of these things you have to ask yourself in order so you could create a product that's going to speak to the right audience. So good. Oh my goodness. Your job is so good. All of this. I know somebody listening to this is going to be encouraged and should be furiously taking notes right now. So you raise the $20,000, you travel all across Haiti, you gather these recipes. The book is beautiful, y'all. It's a coffee table book. And then when you were, um, when I saw you, you had like this nice bag that you we're using. And what I loved about it is that material. I don't know what you call it, but it's like burlap, burlap, burlap is burlap. So it, it just, it was again, hailing back to like your heritage to this is a common material that you see at the market. Yes. You know, it's like a market bag or whatever. The yes. is. <laughs> and I, I just got it. And I love that everything that you do hails back to your heritage and to amplifying your culture. And I think I think that's I keep saying it. That's what's dope about you. I think that's important for me. Like I said, even when I think part of the reasons I use those very traditional items, even food, I realize we have a lot of hang ups. I catered a wedding at 26 Bridge a couple of years back. And you're from Trinidad. One of the um the brides, you know, the brides, um, the bride's mom was from Trinidad. Uh, he was Haitian. And, and most of my clients tend to be very mixed, like mm-hmm. in that sense. It's usually, I call them mud weddings, right? It's usually some, some two people uniting. But the mom, Trinidadian, she was very upset because she wanted to serve smoked herring at the, at the wedding. What I loved about it is because the, I experienced that among Haitians a lot. So I was like, oh, we're not the only ones who's liking this. I didn't know that. Because she's like, this is a wedding. You know, you're supposed to be serving salmon. She wanted to serve snapper. So the mom felt like it should be salmon because that's what you serve at weddings. So I was like, oh, so we all have this mentality around what food represents. There's Haitians will say certain things, like a certain type of food don't 
they, it's not elevated to the tabletop because meaning you just sit and eat it because it's not elegant. It's not classy. Mm. So those are things like cornmeal, millet, bulgur wheat, because they consider these things to be peasant foods, right? Like country foods, like things like the provisions, you know, things like that. So when I started catering, that was another thing I wanted to. And again, for me, I guess we all have a way of resistance. And I guess food is my form of resistance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't think about it until I'm speaking to you now. So I always wanted to present these things in nice, classy, elegant ways, but that's still still very much rooted in the tradition that they came out of. So packaging food, packaging our traditional cuisine has always been very important to me so it can enter any event, any atmosphere. But also too, when I package our products, I want them to be reminiscent of like our childhood or these markets or these things. So even this year when I was doing my gift box, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, I want my cremas bag to be like that burlap, you know, kind of thing. So I like that because I feel like there is beauty in tradition and we have to get out of this mentality that our things are not beautiful. So there's so many different things I can ask you about, but since you talked about your gift box, let's transition to what you did in 2020. Everything shut down. You were in the house. I would see your little videos with you cooking. <laughs> I think of food. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so 2020 was crazy. 2020. Do you have a specific question or just? No, I just want to know about um, how you transitioned from, because I think for all of us, well, at least for me, there was a moment where like, wait a minute, the things that I planned, they're not, they're not going to happen. And I think there was a, a mourning period and a grieving period yes, that's the for word. those things. But then a lot of us either just stayed there or we, we, we pivoted. Um, I did an event in October talking about the 2020 pivot. Okay, it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to go. How, what can we do with what we have in this space that we're in? And I want you to talk about how you did that with your new cookbook. I love that how you put it. What can we do with what we have? in the moment that we have right now. And to me, that was my mentality because, and you use the word mourning too, because yeah, like the bulk of my work, I do a lot of things. I run a, my catering company, I run a real estate business and I also do my coaching, but catering was always- Wait, And I felt like you have like a clothing line blossoming. That's true, which came out of, <laughs> which came out of quarantine. And as I was getting dressed today, I was like, I need a lounge wear. Like, cause I love comfortable stuff. So what I did today was I wore my tights, a shirt, like I could go to the gym later, but I like styled it with this great, beautiful kimono. I was like, I need a lounge wear, like, you know, interchangeable kind of line, but that's like way down the line. I'm here but, for it. Out of COVID too, did come my e-commerce store with my t-shirts and things like that. But catering being hit so hard. So I had clients charging back credit cards. And I'm telling you, mainly what I do these days are big events like weddings and stuff. So we're talking about thousands of dollars. So I think there was really a moment of panic, but I'm a Sagittarius. So panic is all up here. Outside, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, type of thing. But I'm my mind is constantly like, hmm, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. So I think I was like in that space of mourning. It's like, wow, what I know, what I what I do doesn't exist anymore. So that was my catering business. Real estate was that wasn't happening. So I was like, what am I going to do? So I think after about a week of feeling like that, I was just like, 
like you just said, what do I have? What I have is I love food and I love connecting with people. I can't do it the way I used to. I can't do my galas and my brunches and my events at Flatbush K and Marts and all of these community events anymore, but I can still cook and I could still connect with my little phone. Cause mm-hmm. I don't just like, I don't like just talking to people. I like exchanges. So I don't, didn't just want to cook and post a video. I was like, I love interaction. So I was like, I turned on that camera and I just started cooking. And then I, I guess everybody was in the same boat because everybody was looking to reach out and touch somebody else out there. Right. So in that moment of just making the decision, like, you know what, let me do with what I have right now and make the best of it. Something great sparked because as I was cooking those videos, people were like, Oh, I want to cash up you. You so great. I was like, for what? I'm just cooking so I could eat, you know? So I still hadn't wrapped my brain around it. And then like, I just told you, that's me. I don't, there's nothing wrong with someone cash apping you for cooking and doing something because they're get, they're getting something out of it. So if they wanted to cash app me, they're getting something out of it. So this just, it's just for me though, that's, it just wasn't clicking yet. So I was like, you know what? How about I create something you guys can buy, <laughs> you know? So I've always had the word professional IPAV because IPAV is like Haitian parents love to call their kids IPAV because it's like, you're a bum. All you do is you lay around or you're doing useless things. It's mainly because... Oh. Maybe because you're doing useless things they don't like. Right. So that Keisha, they will call me an APAV because every time Keisha call, I'm always at the parties with her. I'm always going on some trip with her. You're such an APAV because you're always free and ready to go and do something. But can we talk about, oh my goodness, there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> you know, there's so many layers. Can we talk about because of, you know, how parents came to this country and how they've had to work and the sacrifices they've made. I always tell my students, we know how to work hard. We don't necessarily know how to play. So when our parents see us playing, they're like, what? And that's what an APAV is for them. So that's why my APAV line, it's funny you'd say that, I put live, work, and play. And under my play line is my APAV line because it is you doing those things they don't find value in. So it's kind of like I'm reshifting the word because they don't find value in it. Because I remember like my my friend's mom would call her Nepal because it could be winter, snow outside. She's wearing her little heels because she's going out to a party. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why are you such an Nepal? And she's like, uh, just because it's cold, that means I'm going to spend the whole winter in my home. So it's really reshifting the mentality around what we give value to. So that's what Nepal represents to me. And then also being an entrepreneur, people would be like, it's like, you're always available. You're always, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a professional APAV, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it became synonymous with entrepreneurship for me because it's like, you're at the gym at noon. You're doing this at the, I was like, well, I'm self-employed. I sleep late. I wake up early. Uh, and it's just, my patterns are different, but I probably put in more hours than a lot of people I know with the nine to five. Mm-hmm. So that's really what it is. So I was like, oh, let me, I've always had this idea for a shirt. Let me do it. So I called the printer and then, you know, everything was happening online these days. So I started that, opened up my uh, e-commerce store and put that up. As I'm cooking, people are buying my shirts. I'm not going to lie to you. There are months I made like $10,000. Listen. <laughs> Last night, I said, I got to ask about these shirts. Yeah, because people, like I said, one, people were home. A lot of people still work from home and still had a check. So 
it's just like there's, you know, you never know what opportunities there. Because I didn't expect that. I did not expect that at all. But I created it that. But then from cooking, though, people are like, well, how much of this? I was like, I don't know. I cook. I just make these things up as I'm talking to you guys. So then they kept asking me for recipes. So I was like, oh, maybe I should create a book. And then for me, too, when those cameras were off, there were still things happening, right? Things happen, interactions that were happening because food, again, always sparks conversation for me. So I was like, Taste of Solitude, which is the book, it became kind of like, oh, what came out of this moment? I wanted to tap into that a little bit more deeply. I wanted to share that a little bit more. Like, because for me, like I said, I'm obsessed with self-development, obsessed. Like if you look at the books I read, like I haven't read fiction. I love fiction books. Like I saw Eric Jerome Dickey just passed and I was like, oh my God, that's terrible because I remember that was those books I read. But lately I'm like the Malcolm Gladwell, the Simon Sinex and, you know, Purple Cow because I'm all about growth and development. And I was like, this is a good opportunity to share because for once we're all experiencing these moments. So perhaps my feelings weren't so, so personal and maybe someone, the other people were experiencing it. So Taste of Solitude was like that merger of those foods and recipes that developed out of those things. Because while Haiti Uncovered is very much traditional Haitian cuisine, mm-hmm. Taste of Solitude is more like how I cook regularly for myself, which is fusion. I cook based on something I saw in Morocco or something I saw in Jamaica or something, you know, mm-hmm. I experienced in Barcelona. Like I love that in creating. So that book really allowed me the creativity that I like to have in terms of creating food, but also kind of like, wow, this is what came out of this moment for me, the gratitude, the pain, the lessons, everything. And I just wanted to share that. But again, I I feel like it goes back to what we said initially, right? Every moment it's what you decide to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's Will Smith that has that quote that everybody loves. He says like, you know, you can't, you can't really change what happened to you. What you can do is basically decide what you're going to do with it. How are you Mm. going to manage it? So for me, it's kind of like that. Like the pandemic was not our choice. It was not, we're still dealing with it. It's not even a was, we're still dealing with it, but it's like, what do you choose to do in this moment with the things that you have control over? How do you take ownership of it? Cause I have people who's like, well, you know, I don't have time because they want to start a business and they'll say, I don't have time. And then you're like, okay, but you have a two hour bus ride mm. to work. Or you have, you know, between, even while at work, there are times when it's slow. That's opportunity for learning and growth. That's opportunity for an online business. That's opportunity for you to do something. So sometimes I think we get so bogged down in terms of the things we don't have control over. We forget that there's so much we have control over. And I say this because not to say that people don't have like... uh, barriers because we all do right uh and like i said we're black we're women we're you know all of these things they're real it's not like a phantom thing because i fight with my haitian family members all the time because i don't think they understand systematic racism because some of them they do come here and they succeed but they don't understand that's not a universal thing and the roadblocks that are put forth for black people not to succeed so just because you were able to make it out and you're a doctor 
it doesn't mean that the the field the the field is e- even. So I have to do that education process as well among family members. But with even within those barriers, if you're aware of them, that should give you at least now the insight to be like, okay, so this is what exists. How do I do my work around? But you can't feed into it. You know, you can't feed into it. Oh my goodness. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the pandemic allowed us to, that opportunity to really tap into like, okay, what are these things that's been sitting here that I've been supposed to do that now I can't, I can do, you know, I can do because time is different. Work is different shifting um, that I can dedicate the time. And then also to, I think the silence, and that's why I say solitude is not necessarily a negativity. It's basically time to yourself really allowed us the opportunity to hear ourselves, to know what is it that Keisha wants. What does Keisha want? That is what is being dictated because Keisha has to run around and do this. Keisha has to do that. She has this obligation. But I think for some of us, I'm sure, because some people I'm sure got busier doing the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on what field you are in. But I think for a lot of us, the slowdown was like, let me listen. Yeah. Let me reconnect. Because I can say I reconnected to food during the pandemic because I had reached a point where it was hustle, bustle, real estate, catering. But catering, I was more managing people and getting this event done that I had lost track of like that one-on-one interaction that I told you I loved interacting with my audience, creating a platform where I could do that. So the pandemic really realigned me, I can say in terms of like that purpose that kind of had gotten drowned out a little bit in Mm -hmm. terms of, because there was so much else happening. Somebody needs to give you a show or... Oh my God, that would be so nice. Listen, I'm like, somebody needs to give you a show about all these different things because you're just so full of wisdom, so colorful, so genuine. You have a wealth of knowledge. It's that somebody needs to give you a show. And I just want to see that happen. I'm just going to say that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From your mouth to God's ears. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so and that's really what it is for me. I love connecting with people. So if I can have a show where I'm cooking and then bringing amazing people like yourself, like, and I said that to my friend the other day, funny enough, she was like, she always calls me on New Year's and pray for me. I don't know if you've seen my friend Gracie. And she's like, this year, I wish you whatever, whatever. And I was like, yes. And I want to show. And she said that about a show too. And I was like, yes, a show where I can sit down and interview Oprah and we're talking and yes, connecting and, and cooking. Yes. But at the same time, I want to be able to bring someone, even if it's someone from the my corner deli, if there's something inspirational about them and I feel that there's value in that, I want to be able to present that. I don't want to just interview Oprah. Listen, I just want it. listen, I'm listen, I'm gonna produce the show feel. <laughs> You know, five people from the neighborhood, people who are doing big things, people that are doing little things, but people who have yes. something that other people need to hear or see. You're going to cook and talk to them. You're going to wear your fabulous loungewear while you're doing it. <laughs> yes. This show needs to happen. It's going to uh, happen. It's going to happen. But yeah, because I feel like sometimes too, because value is not necessarily packaged in a specific way, right? Mm-hmm. Especially now with social media, we oftentimes think that, think that somebody needs to have this number of followers or be this person for us to listen. And I'm like, mm, 
some of the things I've learned, I always tell people that my dad is not, my dad is one of, he's crazy, crazy because he's a Caribbean <laughs> father, but he's one of the wisest human beings I know because his level of understanding and analysis is, is crazy. That's why one of the books I want to write is called Lessons from My Dad, Father, because he always had like these very creative thing ways. Like one of the things he would say something like, you know, as much as he wants you to be a doctor, but he also instilled in me like a doctor is not more valuable than a plumber. And his example was like, because if the doctor's bathroom is clogged, he still needs the expertise of someone else, you know? So he's like, everybody has their place. It's more like, it's not a matter of better than, it's more a matter of different, Mm -hmm. you know? Because, and I feel like value can come from a lot of different places and people and individuals. So it doesn't need to be packaged in Oprah. I just think Oprah is phenomenal. I would love to interview her, but it, somebody else can offer just as much value. Definitely. Oprah needs to interview you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just saying, we're just going to say all the good things that need to happen. <laughs> So the last thing I saw you putting out was your box for Christmas. And in the box, you put what? In my box. So again, from that now, I'm going to tell you the next project. So I decided because I only had 50 copies of my Haiti Uncovered book left. So I'm going to say it here first, because I decided that I want to do a second edition. So... I only had 50, so I didn't reprint for the holidays. So I was like, okay, how do I get this? Because usually around the holidays, I'll sell like 200 bucks, you know? So I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? So I was like, how can I make people buy even more products on a marketing level? So I did this gift box and I was like, okay, it's going to be my Haiti Uncovered cookbook, my apron, because I have this beautiful apron. Let me see if I can find one to show you. Um, I have this apron that I created with this beautiful embroidery. Yes, so colorful and beautiful. Yeah, so it's a denim apron, right? So I was like, I'll put the cookbook apron and then the cremas, which is like a punch of crema. Mm -hmm. And then this like cinnamon, star anise. We do this liquor thing. Like it's like another drink, holiday drink. So I packaged it beautiful, made these beautiful boxes. So I was like, oh, okay, that could be a good gift set. Because that's the thing. When you're a business owner, especially... Even if you have other people, like right now I have like a, a I don't even know what she what to call her because she does everything, right? She's very good in terms of helping me structure and develop some of my systems with my e-commerce store. I have my friend Gracie who does my graphics and those type of things. But you always, like I said, always have to be creating. So I always I'm thinking of like how can I market this in a way it makes sense. So the box was a way to like push some of the great products I created this year. But even from that, people were like, will there be other boxes? And then even my um, Deirdre, who works with me, like I just said, she we were analyzing going over our goals for 2021. And she was like, you know, when we look at your stores, it seems like your food products are what does really well. I know. I was like, these people want to keep me cooking all the time, but I'm not trying to be like cook all the time. So how do I do it? So we're like, you know what? The box makes sense. Since people love the box, they were asking maybe creating like a quarterly box mm-hmm. with different ingredients. And then also going back to that connection piece of kind of like sending them things that we can cook together, right? Mm-hmm. There will be like the box gets 
activated, you get it. And then now there's a day or a way that when you're part of that community, we're creating the things in the box together. So it's really constantly evolving, Keisha. Like, I don't think, that's why I tell people, like, you may have, you should have your goals. You may have things that you set out to do, but you also have to also be open to like, what is the universe telling you? What are your fans telling you? What are your clients telling you? What is everybody around telling you? And then reconnect that with what you want to do, your core Mm. purpose and your core mission and constantly be creating around that because it's not going to be stagnant. That's just, that's, that's amazing. So what's next? What can we look forward to from you? Uh, Look out for the box. Mm -hmm. Um, And then really more going back and doing more cooking because people really connected to that during the pandemic. So I'm looking for a a way to do that. And then I'll probably be launching a platform where I'm doing like regular paid cooking classes on a regular basis because people really miss that. And I miss it too. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Just so many things I can talk to you about forever and ever. I'm going to shift to what I call the lightning round. And it's just random questions that I ask. Um, and just answer the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So what is your favorite color? <laughs> say it again. Oh, I'm not going to say black. I will say black. <laughs> I knew you were going to say black. Like something he was like, she going to say black. <laughs> but no, no, no. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, green. Okay. Celebrity crush. Ooh, uh, what's that man? Oh, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny. Lenny. <laughs> said, ooh. Y'all can't see her. She's rubbing her neck. Uh, <laughs> um, your favorite dessert? Ooh, rum cake. Okay. And what is your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure. What would I consider a guilty pleasure? Hmm. I can't think of one. I think guilty pleasure. I don't know if it's something. Some people don't feel guilty about their guilty pleasure. That's what I was about to say. I don't feel guilty about anything. I guess I think my something I enjoy that most people don't is I always say, but it's not a guilty pleasure. But like most women I know hate driving. Like I actually enjoy driving. So those things, but I'm trying to see, I don't feel guilty. That's the other thing. I, my philosophy is like learn and move on. <laughs> you know, if I'm yeah. aware that I feel guilty, I'm usually like, cause I'm very thoughtful in how I think I try to be like, okay, I'm very, so, so I don't know. But let me rephrase it then. What is something about you that people would be surprised to know? I'm shy. Okay. I'm shy. Uh, entrepreneurship made me a forced extrovert. Mm. But I'm that person when I enter the party, I'm like the life of the party, but then I'm looking for a way out to escape because you know what time you're I, leaving, you know how you're going to leave. Yeah. So I'm always <laughs> looking for, you know, planning my escape route because I can only take so much. So that's why I'm like, I love connecting like this, but when people are always like, Oh, let's get together. And I'm like, for a little bit, yeah, but I can't do it for too long or too yeah. much. I am that like a forced extrovert. Who plays Nadej in the story of her life and what genre is it? Is it a comedy? Is it drama? Is it a musical? Is it a stage play? Ooh. I think it definitely has to be a comedy because I'm super silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
because if they're going to show my real life, everything, I'm super silly. It's definitely a comedy. And then watch my girl. She's out there these days doing everything and she's bold too now. Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> I, I see it. I see. And she loves to cook too. So there you have yes, it. So Tiffany could be have it. Yes, Tiffany could be me. A friend of mine had this great idea for a screenplay and I hope he puts it out. But it was about like food and music and love. And I'm like, oh, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, thank you so I think there needs to be more Caribbean inspired. Like even on YouTube or Amazon Prime or Netflix, more of those stories, like yes. well-rounded stories about like experiences and stuff like on, on a main stage. So hopefully the new the new generation of creators are, are, are working on these things. I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for sharing so much about your life and your journey and your process. I've learned so much. I know my listeners have learned a lot. Where can we find you? Everywhere is Nadege Florimod. It's my full name. That's N-A-D-E-G-E. F-L-E-U-R-I-M-O-N-D, as in David, everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, I live on Instagram. And you can definitely go to my uh, website, it's nadezhfarman.com. Anywhere you put Nadez, you'll find me. And I'm always available, so feel free to DM me any questions on Instagram. I check them, message me. And if you need any advice, I have like a 15-minute like free coaching uh, cons- uh, call that I do. So I'm super available. Awesome. And I can't help but notice that the root of your last name is flower. Um, and it just it just represents so much about you. And I am so grateful for your presence as a dope Black woman. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Keisha. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you thinking of me and and providing this space, not just for me and other, but other do-back black women that are doing other things. So I can't wait to catch up with them as well. So thank you. Hey, inspired person. Wasn't that great? Thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Keisha. Nadege gave us so many gems and she gave me her t-shirt plug because I've been thinking about this for a while. And so to commemorate this season, there are a limited number of dope black women t-shirts available on my website. So check it out at www.drkeisha.nyc. Be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Leave me some reviews. So many of you send me really lovely notes in my DMs or via text message, telling me or even email, telling me how much you enjoy the episodes and how much they resonate with you. But very few have actually left a written review. So please do that wherever you listen to the podcast, leave a review. And be sure to continue following me on social media at Dr. Keisha. That's D-R underscore K-E-I-S-H-A. On Instagram, it's Dr. Keisha, all the way spelled out on Facebook. So thank you again. And I can't wait to continue to bring you more dope Black women doing dope Black women things.